0: Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags are back on top of the AP poll despite only securing 25 first place votes. We'll talk about that in the first segment before talking about BYU and the future of the WCC in segment number two and finishing out the show with some rejoicing that Jalen Suggs is back in action for the Orlando Magic. All of that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have joined us on YouTube. The YouTube channel is growing fast. I really, really love all of you who have come out to the YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Sincerely appreciate it. If you have not, And you are a listener to Locked On Zags. I still appreciate you so much. But go to YouTube, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. I'll appreciate you just a little bit more if you do that. All right, segment one, the Zags are back at the top of the polls. It was a bit tenuous whether they were going to get there or not. There was a lot of debate Between the Gonzaga Bulldogs and the Auburn Tigers, of course, Auburn, who beat Alabama last week, which was used quite frequently as an argument in favor of Auburn, I went on the record to say that while I believe Auburn had and has a very, very strong case to be the number one ranked team in the country over Gonzaga, I don't think that the argument that they beat Alabama and Gonzaga lost to Alabama holds a lot of water. I try not to use those transitive property arguments Just in general, because I I think they're silly. I think teams can show up in different ways on different days. Gonzaga had a bad week. Every good team this year has had a bad week or a bad game. Every single one of them. And for Gonzaga to struggle against Alabama, yeah, Alabama's good. And Alabama has unfortunately not looked as good since then, which makes that loss not look very good. But again, like, look at what happened with Oregon. Oregon was was a, not a very good team to start the year. And St. Mary's and BYU, who are good teams, don't get me wrong, but they steamrolled an Oregon team that found their footing in January as they normally do under coach Dana Altman and crushed USC crushed UCLA. And now I don't think people are out there saying, well, this must mean St. Mary's is better than UCLA. That's not an argument that people are, are using realistically. I don't believe uh, Northwestern obviously beat Texas tech after Texas tech beat Baylor and Gonzaga and a lot of other or didn't, they didn't beat Gonzaga, but they beat Baylor and, and nobody's using that argument, <laughs> realistically. So I, I don't think that it's a, a feasible argument. However, Auburn was 8-1, and one, is 8-1 and one in quad one, quad two games. Gonzaga's 4-2. and two. So there there was some argument. I still believe, believed that Gonzaga deserved to be the number one team in the country, and that did bear itself out. But it was an interesting path to get there. Gonzaga received 25 first-place votes in the AP poll. Auburn received 36 first place votes. That is a huge difference. 11 more AP voters believed that Auburn deserved to be the number one team over Gonzaga. The difference is that very few people had Gonzaga ranked below second. If Gonzaga wasn't first, they were frequently second. For Auburn, two voters in particular really jeopardized their chances of being the number one ranked team in the country. One of them was John Wilner from the Mercury News. He voted, he had them sixth, which I think is defensible. It's, a, it's lower than I would have had them, but I think that it is defensible. Also, Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star had them ninth. He kind of had to actually step out and defend his argument because he was getting a lot of hate, a lot of vitriol, which... I've also gone on record multiple times as talking about how I don't think that this matters all that much and think that getting really, really mad about this kind of stuff is a little bit silly. All that matters is who's playing in the final game of the season in April or late March. But I do understand from Auburn's perspective, they have never been ranked the, the number one team in the country. It has never happened. Bruce Pearl went on record and said how important he thinks this would be for the program. Let's think back and remember back in 2013, it was my senior year of college. I know many of you, most of you were still fans of the program at that time. The first time they were ranked number one was such an incredibly fun atmosphere for the students, for the university at, 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 in large, for the fan base. Everybody was just so thrilled. They had like a big party on campus. It was, just, and obviously it's a little bit different for a, a small school, 4,000 people, no football team came from nowhere, you know, at this time that had kind of been 14 years since Gonzaga emerged on the college basketball map, 14 years in waiting before they became the number one team. It was a a really incredible moment to be a student at Gonzaga. I'm so thankful that I was there during this time because it was such a monumental moment. And so for Auburn, again, it's a little bit different because they're a big school, because they have a football team, because they've frequently been the best football team (laughs) in the country. Doesn't mean that it's not a cool accomplishment for the basketball program, obviously. But I think they, you could make an argument that they deserved it, and I think that that's totally reasonable. I'm glad Gonzaga is number one. I don't want to sound like somebody who's like, oh, I wish we were number two. I, I don't. I'm glad we're number one. And I don't think that, I think my main argument is that we should, we can't take this lightly. We've had this a lot. We had this all of last year. We had this a lot of this year. We had it a lot the year before that. <laughs> it's like we have been number one a lot, and it is easy to take that for granted, to feel like we expect to be there or we always deserve to be there. There's a good argument that we do deserve to be there right now, and we should be dang happy about that, and I certainly am. But we have to remember that there are schools out there like Auburn who have never done this before, and so we should not take it lightly. It is a very cool thing that happens to Gonzaga on a regular basis because of how hard this program has worked, how talented the players on this team are, how good of a coach Mark Few is, and we're back on top. And now the question is, how long are we going to keep it? And I think this is where some, some Auburn fans might be frustrated and some programs of other schools might be frustrated because once the Zags get to number one, It's going to be hard for them to lose it. They have played one of the toughest games that they're going to play in conference play. Of course, that was BYU at home at the Kennel, and they blew the doors off of them. The next big game they have is just a couple of days away. On Thursday, they will play San Francisco. That is going to be a tough game. The Dons are good. This is a very, very good team, a team probably the most equipped to beat Gonzaga in the WCC because of their size, because of their depth because they have big, physical, experienced guards, because Todd Golden is a really good coach. We're going to talk a lot about San Francisco on tomorrow's episode and Thursday's episode, lots of talk about the Dons. But quite frankly, this is a game Gonzaga could lose. And if they lose to USF, they will not be number one next week, barring basically everybody else in the top five losing at equally bad games. Auburn would have to lose. I'm not sure who they have this upcoming week. Uh, Baylor would probably have to lose again. It it would be tough for Gonzaga to to maintain the number one spot if they don't beat USF. But if they win that game, no matter how they win it, if they win a close game, if they blow them out again, they score 110-plus points again, it's going to be—I don't think they're going anywhere. They're sitting at the top— of the rankings this is obviously barring other schedule changes which may or may not happen of course if if another team loses a game because of covid and Gonzaga wants to add a game this saturday that could potentially happen obviously if Gonzaga finds a way to add a a kentucky or a michigan state or some team like that and loses You know, that would impact the rankings as well. I don't know how likely that is. It's impossible to predict. That's what has made college basketball so interesting the last couple of years. But if they beat USF and there's no schedule changes, the next realistic chance for Gonzaga to fall down in the AP poll is that big game February 5th against BYU at the Marriott Center. That's going to be a super tough one. Uh, Again, Gonzaga just blew the doors off the Cougars, so I know it's hard to imagine them (laughs) losing to that team. But BYU shot the ball pretty well in the first half before kind of falling apart in the second half, and Gonzaga's offense just kept churning along. But it's a different breed when you're playing them in at Provo. So I think that's going to be an interesting game there. I think Gonzaga's still going to win it. I, I They did enough to prove to me that they can beat BYU regardless of, of what the fans' situation is. But after that, they got St. Mary's twice in February. St. Mary's is always tough. They'll get San Francisco again at some point. Obviously, they get Everybody else in the WCC as well, Santa Clara, LMU twice. I'm not super worried about those teams. They certainly didn't look like they had too much trouble with Santa Clara, who's kind of generally considered the next group in that tier of teams in the WCC. But yeah, this looks like it's Gonzaga's pull to hold on to for a pretty long time. Uh, And again, I think for us as fans, seeing how Upset Auburn fans were because this was their, really their best chance to be the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, I don't know that I'm saying advocating for feeling bad for them. You can if you want, certainly. But it's more of an advocation for, hey, remember how special this is. We don't—I we, we, don't want us to take this for granted. There are programs out there, good programs, that have never had this happen. And they look at us, and they look at how we always have it, and it's a jealousy thing. And we need to remember that we didn't. this didn't used to be the case at Gonzaga, and it could go away. I don't know that it's going to go away anytime soon, but we need to cherish this. We need to remember how special this is because it does not happen every single season the way that it has for Gonzaga the last few years. All right, sticking with BYU, we're going to talk some WCC in the second second segment. We're actually going to answer some listener submitted questions that did not make it into Mailbag Monday because we ran out of time and I didn't want to go over, so these are going to be used for segment 2 here a couple questions about BYU. Before we get there though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Even in 2022, Bet Online remains the number one spot for all of the best sports wagering action. In fact, with a new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2020, 2022 seasons. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're spilling over from Mailbag Monday to... Use a phrase coined by Locked On Blazers host, Mike Richmond. We are having a special delivery mailbag episode because we had more questions than we had room for on Monday. I grouped these three questions together because they're all about BYU, and I wanted to get the opportunity to talk about their move to the Big 12, what it means for the WCC. So this first question comes from EBL4 on Twitter. He says, with BYU set to leave to the Big 12, do you think we will try to keep the rivalry between us as a non-league game? So, yes, I do. And so does Coach Few, <laughs> which is why I feel that way as well. After the BYU game, there's a report. Coach Few was asked about potentially keeping this game going. He said, I'm quite certain we'll have something going in the future, which is, you know, you can't make any guarantees, obviously, at this point, but I don't... I don't think Mark Few would say that if he didn't believe pretty strongly that this would happen. And there's no reason for it not to. It makes so much sense. Mark Few and Coach Pope, Mark Pope, are seem to be close. They seem to be—they have, like, a, a good relationship with each other. BYU has given Gonzaga— Fits in the past, it is always going to be a, almost always, if not always, (laughs) going to be a good-looking non-conference game. Like, this is not the kind, it's, you know, it's, it's not as if it's Portland or Pepperdine leaving the WCC. Like, if those teams left, I don't think Gonzaga would be as concerned about making sure they continue to play them. But for BYU, BYU is almost always a top Forty, top fifty, Ken Palm team. It's usually going to be a quad one, sometimes a quad two win. uh, At worst, Uh, when they're in the Big Twelve, it's going to help uh, make make this game look even better for Gonzaga. The fans love this game. It's a good rivalry game. I think it has always been a good rivalry game. That the fan bases. I, I don't want to say they hate each other because that's a bit too strong of a word, but there is some, you know, some emotion between these two teams. Obviously, BYU has played spoiler for Gonzaga a lot. Gonzaga has also spoiled BYU's hopes of making a lot more NCAA tournaments with the move to the WCC than they actually did. So there's geographically, it makes some sense. It's not a horribly long road trip for either team to take. I would love to see them sign up to a home-and-home as soon as BYU is out of the conference and just have that be a a planned game indefinitely for at least you know three, four, five years potentially and just kind of have it on the schedule. It makes too much sense not to. It's kind of a slam dunk in, in my mind. So I think that we're going to see that continue to happen. Next question also from EBL4 on Twitter. He says, I know this has been asked plenty, but do you see some of the more intense post BYU WCC scenarios happening, i.e., us joining the Big East, or a number of WCC teams joining the Big East, or us joining the Mountain West? So I don't. I don't really think there's going to be a big shakeup after after BYU leaves. The Mountain West is just—it's not a significant upgrade. We know, at least according to the last time that this was brought up a couple of years ago, we know that the Mountain West would take Gonzaga. They voted unanimously to accept Gonzaga into the Mountain West before the WCC made some concessions to Mark Few and the AD at Gonzaga to allow them a little bit more flexibility. They get a bigger share of the proceeds that are won from NCAA tournament appearances. They get an opportunity to add more non-conference games to their schedule. They do not have to play the two lowest-ranking teams in the WCC, which is why they have not played in Portland in a couple of years. Um, So I think the WCC—and then you look at the talent pool. Like, I think the Mountain West is deeper 1 through 9, certainly, than the WCC. I don't think there's a debate there. If you look at, you know, the 5th, 6th, 7th-ranked teams in the Mountain West, you're talking about, like, Utah State, you're talking a little bit Nevada, potentially Fresno State down there. Those teams are better than Santa Clara. They're better than LMU. Like, it's, it's, it's a little bit deeper, but at the top, it's not. I mean, Gonzaga, obviously losing BYU will hurt, but Gonzaga, St. Mary's, San Francisco is as good as just about anybody in the Mountain West. San Diego State, Colorado State are kind of right in that conversation, but I just don't think it's a big enough upgrade to, you, you, you would require every sport, assumingly, to change. So, you know, your tennis teams, your rowing teams, your other Olympic sport teams are going to be going to the Mountain West. There's more travel involved in that. Like, I just, I don't see it as a big enough upgrade for Gonzaga to make that move, especially with the WCC growing. But it depends what the WCC does without BYU. That's what I think is the most likely scenario. The Big East stuff something big would have to change. I I think you know you kind of nailed it by saying multiple teams would have to move. They would have to create a Western Conference of the Big East, which they can't call the Big West because the Big West already exists. So I'm not sure how that would work. I I don't think the Big East is going to move mountains in order to get Gonzaga into the conference, and I don't think Gonzaga is just going to join the conference with the Really geographical challenges that would come alongside that, especially if they had to bring their other sports as well. It's just way too much travel, way too much miss school, way too much of a hassle for them, uh, even if it would be a, an obvious improvement for Gonzaga's basketball career. Um Beyond that, I think the biggest thing that's going to happen is Gonzaga is going to have a lot of oversight into what team joins the WCC, trying their best to find a competitive, talented team that could kind of replace BYU in that way. There's just not a ton of realistically good options out there. The one that gets thrown around a lot is Grand Canyon, the Antelopes of the WAC. Obviously, they are a a smaller school. They're on the West Coast they are in a conference that's worst right now they don't have a football team so there's some logical reasons that grand canyon would make some sense as a travel partner uh, just as a as a member institution they're you know they're they're different in terms of their school they're not a small jesuit school or a small religiously affiliated school like most of the schools In the WCC, but they are a talented basketball team, uh, and they're a growing. They have a, a huge fan base, and they're kind of growing as an institution. So it could make some sense. But right now, looking at Ken Palm, they'd be like fifth, sixth. I believe I believe they'd be sixth in the WCC, fifth if you don't count BYU, of course. So are they gonna, you know, are they gonna work really hard to add a team that is gonna contend for a top four spot in the conference, but not necessarily be there? Year in and year out, I don't know. But who else is there? Are they going to go try to get Wichita State? That's that's a hell of a commute for the Shockers. I don't think they're going to want to do that every single day. Uh, would you know? And even then, they're 97th in Ken Palm, so they're you know behind Santa Clara as well. Uh, Loyola Chicago is a great mid-major program, the kind of addition that would really entice Mark Few and everybody because they're you know comparable to BYU, if not better than BYU. But for Loyola Chicago, again, that's a tremendous commute for all of their schools or all of their programs they have to make uh, every single time they play a game. And I just don't think that that's super realistic for them either. So it's tough to find a fit that makes some sense here. There are some other smaller schools that make more logical sense. Seattle U is one that comes up a lot. But You know, they'd be like they'd be competing with San Diego and Pepperdine and those schools kind of at the bottom. Of the WCC, so for Gonzaga and for you know Portland, who probably doesn't want Seattle U in the conference, like this just doesn't make a lot of sense for those schools to be added. If if you know if they ask Mark Few, hey, it's a, is it okay if we replace BYU with Seattle U? He's going to say no. Like he doesn't want that to be the, the situation that they run into because it just weakens their strength of schedule in conference play. So it's a tricky situation. I don't have a firm answer. I don't know what the best solution is there are other factors that i'm not thinking of or not speaking about here as well but it's going to be kind of an interesting situation to see i think gonzaga is just going to really hold out and try to force the wcc to get the best possible school that they can to join the conference in place of byu i just don't know what school that is and how realistic it is to get like a a really competitive basketball program into the conference and then final question for this segment comes from ad206 at eighty two oh six on twitter He says, in their first 10 seasons in the WCC, BYU had four NCAA tournament appearances. That's not including this year. So they will probably have five. And he says, over, under, push for four tournament appearances for them in their first 10 seasons in the Big 12. So I think under, obviously, I know that (laughs) there's been some laughing after Gonzaga's uh, destruction of BYU that, hey, look, this is a team that's not going to hang in the Big 12. I understand wanting to kind of... Uh, maybe make fun of BYU a little bit for this decision to move to the Big 12. Obviously, it's done almost exclusively for football reasons. Uh, it's, it's nice for their basketball program as well, but it, it's really significant for their football team. I also think the practice of talking about how the team that we just beat badly is actually not very good is not a healthy thing for Gonzaga fans to be doing. There are plenty of plenty of other people out there who want to trash Gonzaga's opponents in the conference play. We as Gonzaga fans, in my mind, should not be the ones doing that. We should be acknowledging like, hey, BYU is actually good. And yeah, Gonzaga scored 110 points on them and beat them by 35 or whatever. But this doesn't mean that BYU is bad. It means that Gonzaga is really, really good. Having said that, BYU is probably going to struggle in the Big 12. The They will have a more opportunity to recruit. I think recruiting in the WCC is hard because you're saying, hey, we are not guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament and we probably don't have much of a chance of winning the automatic qualifier because Gonzaga's in our conference. I think that has hurt them from a recruiting perspective. I think being in the Big 12 and having a more prominent football team will help them recruit basketball players. Uh, it will help that they're playing you know, a more consistently challenging schedule. Certainly they're going to have more losses than they do every single game out here. You know, they lose four or five games per season in the WCC and still barely make the NCAA tournament. Out there, they'll probably lose 10, 12 games in good seasons and still have a better chance of making the tournament just because their strength of schedule is better. Their ranking in Ken Palm will probably be better. So I think four in 10 seasons is a outright actually. Uh, I said under if I had to make a prediction, but I think it's honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if their recruiting ticks up, if they are consistently a good team in the Big 12 or at least an average team in the Big 12, and they continue to get a lot of like play-in-game 11 seeds or you know, 10 seeds as like the seventh best team in the conference kind of deal. So I wouldn't be shocked if that ends up happening. It's kind of hard to say at this point, obviously, not knowing what their roster is going to look like, but Mark Pope is a good coach. And I think this is a team that could could actually improve as they get into the Big 12 and, and challenge for more NCAA tournament appearances. All right, Jalen Suggs is back and healthy with the Orlando Magic. I want to talk about that in the third segment and talk about some Kelly Olynyk trade rumors. But before we get there, let's talk about Bilt Bar. It's the New year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By now, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? But Bill Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, here's an idea for the new year. Go to all of your secret treat stashes. At home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all of the sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Bill Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious built bar, you can almost count it as a workout. Go to built built.com now and use promo code Locked15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code Locked15 for 15% off at built.com All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zach. We're doing a short but sweet segment on Gonzaga players in the NBA. Again, there's so many to talk about that trying to talk about all of them in one segment is just not feasible. We'll get to more of them later in the week as we have more updates. But the biggest updates for our NBA Zags right now are about the youngest and the oldest Gonzaga player in the league. That is, of course, Jalen Suggs, rookie for the Orlando Magic and veteran center Kelly Olynyk For the Detroit Pistons, we'll start with Suggs. Suggs is back. He missed a, quite a few games with a finger injury. He was out for a, about six weeks or so, I believe, for the Orlando Magic. It was a bummer timing for him. He was, I think, just starting to really find his groove. You know, he was going through some some growing pains as a rookie, 19-year-old kid in the NBA. You kind of expect that, hey, this is, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty big jump up, and you still saw him flash a lot of the, the, the loads of talent that he has and the ability that he has uh, was was on display a lot in his first couple weeks in the NBA, but also a lot of mistakes as well. Now he's back. He's played three games. All three games have, have shown similar amounts of that athleticism and that talent that he has, and also shown some some of those growing pains are still, still there for him, which is to be expected. Uh, against Charlotte in his first game, he had 12 points, 7 assists, and 6 boards. Stuff in the stat sheet, which you love to see. He had 16 points, 3 boards, and 2 assists on 7 for 11 shooting, against Dallas, which is excellent. And then against Portland on Monday night, he had 10 points, six boards, and three assists. So he's got a he's got 12 assists in three games, which is perfectly defensible. He's also got 12 turnovers in three games, which is not so great. A 12-to-12 12 12 or 1-to-1 one one assist-to-turnover ratio could, could use some improving. We'll put it that way. He's also shot just under 59% from the field. So the concerns about his field goal percentage, him missing a lot of shots... He's starting to iron that out, which is great. Three-game sample sizes, you know, not not huge by any stretch of the imagination, but it's nice to see more of his shots going in. The turnover is something that you could kind of expect for a. A player the who plays the way that he does, who's so young for his level. You you kind of expect that to happen. I don't think that that's such a significant problem. He's been coming off the bench since he came back for Orlando. They're playing a lot of Gary Harris, a lot of Cole Anthony at the guard positions. But again, he, he's, he's a part of their future. He's going to be a starter in, in no time. I think they're just kind of easing him back into into nba action here but i'm really excited to see what he does for the rest of the year i think you know there's less expectation on him now that he's missed so much time now that he's not really a player in the in the uh, rookie of the year race i I think there's a little bit it's a little bit easier for him now to just kind of coast and do his thing yeah he's going to make some mistakes he's going to have some bad nights he's also going to have some great nights where you see everything on display he's going to have 20 points he's going to have you know, seven or eight assists. He's going to knock down three or four threes. Uh, he's going to make some highlight real plays, some passes that wow people. Going to be on Sports Center, all of that stuff. I really believe is going to happen for him in the second half of the year. He's just he's just going to have to, you know, acknowledge there's going to be some growing pains. You know, there's going to be some mistakes. That kind of stuff is going to happen. He's like I said, he's so young. He he made the jump from high school to one season at Gonzaga with you know, they played some really good teams, obviously, but they also didn't play in front of fans. And it was this kind of unique, strange season. And now he's in the NBA. He's dealing with adversity for the first time. He's dealing with losing for the first time. He's in huge arenas full of fans on a completely different level than anything you would have seen in college basketball, especially for him who didn't see fan bases. So it's it's a lot of adjusting for him. I, I think he's going to be great still. I'm not worried about his long-term potential as an NBA player at all. I'm just happy to see him back on the floor and hope to continue to see some improvement from him for the rest of the season. Next up, Kelly Olynyk. Kelly Olenek is back for Detroit. I say back in quotations because he has not actually played yet. For Detroit, his last game was November 12th. He only played 10 games this season before suffering a grade 2 MCL sprain in his knee. Uh, prior to the injury, he was averaging 12.5 points, 5.3 rebounds in 12 games. Excuse me, I said 10, but I believe it was 12 games. Uh, you know the kind of numbers you expect to see from Kelly Olynyk: twelve-ish points, five and a half rebounds, uh, shooting well from three. Like all, Kelly's been so consistent throughout his NBA career, which is truly remarkable for a player of his age uh, and his, you know, h- how long he's been in the league to be consistent uh, in, in the production that you put up and, and consistently good. You know, he's not consistent in putting up two points and one rebound. He's consistent in putting up good, solid numbers in the NBA. Now the question is, what Detroit is going to do with Kelly? They're they're bad. They're not a good—Pistons are not a good team. They have Cade Cunningham. Obviously, they're rebuilding around him. Sadiq Bey is a big piece for them at the four spot. And then they have Isaiah Stewart, who is—you know, he's not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a good quality, small ball center in today's modern NBA. So those are kind of building blocks a little bit for Detroit. Now, they have Kelly under contract for two more seasons after this year, but he's a pretty prime trade candidate if teams are willing to trade for him with the medical history right now. We know Detroit attempted to trade for Bull Bull, the former Oregon alum who's on the Denver Nuggets. They ended up voiding the trade because of an injury concern with Bull. But if they're going out to get young centers like Bull, it makes you wonder if they are planning to try to move Kelly. Maybe they just wanted to acquire somebody else that Kelly could potentially be a mentor for, which makes some sense as well. But I think there's some real opportunity for Kelly to get traded at the deadline this year, assuming he gets back and healthy and starts to kind of look a little bit more like himself before the trade deadline. Teams are probably going to want to see that before they give up any kind of draft capital to acquire him. But I've seen Boston thrown around as a rumor for him, which would be interesting return, of course. To the team that he spent the first half of his NBA career with, uh, it makes some sense considering their needs in the front court. Uh, his experience playing over there, obviously, I think, could make a lot of sense. There are plenty of other teams that I'm not thinking of right now that could definitely make some sense for Kelly as well. Um, I, I'm I'm curious. I, I think it would be fun to see him kind of help this Detroit team grow as, you know, Cade Cunningham gets used to the NBA, as Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart continue to grow. As young Biggs, Kelly playing a bit of a complementary role while being a bit of a mentor for those guys would be fun. But also for him, you know, he'd probably love to play in the NBA Finals again, like he did with Miami. So if he could get traded to a good team that has a realistic chance of contending for a title, that that would be great for him as well. So that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Obviously, DeMontis Sabonis' trade rumors are going to kind of dominate the Zags and the NBA discourse as we get closer to the trade deadline. I think there are some sneaky possibilities for even a guy like Brandon Clark to get potentially traded if Memphis wants to consolidate some of their young talent and, and acquire somebody who's a bit more, uh, who's, a, who's got a bit more star potential, I suppose, uh, for a team that's really looking to to contend in a serious way. And then the last note, Zach Collins is back for the Spurs, sort of. He played in the G League. He has not played yet uh, for San Antonio, but he is very, very close to returning. I saw this tweet uh, just this morning, so I tacked it into my notes at the last minute. But uh, Collins played two quarters Uh, In the the G League before he got his first technical foul. So he's back in the same exact way that we expect Zach Hans to be back, which is he's feisty. He's aggressive. He's uh, letting people know when he's dissatisfied with what they're saying. So uh, hopefully that means we'll get to see him in an NBA uniform with San Antonio soon because I'm excited to see what the young man can do after missing the last two years with injuries. All right, that is going to do it for today. We got San Francisco coming up on Thursday, so look out for plenty of coverage ahead of that showdown at 8 p.m. on Thursday night, all right here on the Locked On Zach's podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts, and, of course, available on YouTube. Check it out there if you have not already. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!